boy, oh boy, what a week it's been. The so news much. has been nuts. Our business has been crazy. Uh, we've been crazy busy. Uh, real estate's been nuts. I mean, man. No we, surprise there. We, we have a lot to cover today. A, a lot of things to go over. Inflation is officially here. We've been talking about it for a while, that it was coming, it was coming, and it's here. No, it's it, not. It's arrived. <laughs> yeah. Depends who you ask, I guess. No, it's not. Uh, but it's it's nuts. It's crazy what's going on with everything. Uh, we're going to be talking about all the inflation concerns, all the problems, how this is going to affect you. We're going to be talking about as well as these Russia, Russian cyber hackers that are going around hacking damn near everybody and just caused gas prices to freaking go up drastically. Um, we're going to be talking about that. We have some real estate news. Housing just keeps going Higher and higher lumber did you, uh, prices. Did you see some of the pictures of people hoarding gas? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What they were putting it in? Well, I've been seeing, well, yeah, just plastic tubs. Yeah, they are using like a plastic tote, or I saw somebody were just using like trash bags in their car and like zip trash time. Trash bags. Like, they, you, they know, like you, realize, you realize gas like eats plastic, right? It eats all that. Yeah. And you're driving down the road. I remember when the gas prices happened here that uh, the fire department got sent out to the highway because of a massive fire on the highway because some dummy dumb was sitting there filling gas tanks in the back of his truck with like plastic bags and then the bags like ate so away and question. lit on fire and he's driving on the road with a roaring fire in the bed of his truck here's my question for you though in kansas is dummy dumb yeah i know I just, I just i just pulled that i was like that was like a, I, I, dummy I, dumb I, I was like dumb not gonna cuss so like, dummy dumb. A dummy dumb. <laughs> yeah. i was like but, trying to censor myself that's what happens very nice yeah but, you should, you should yeah. try it see what you come up no with. i don't work on you just sit there you just eat, eat just no like, i just squeak out i just gotta i just gotta curse it so a lot going on a lot on the news today um just for low. everybody that's joining us if you are enjoying everything that you're hearing here, uh, we have an insider community that we send updates, tips, strategies, everything only to them. And it's a text community. It's all free. And you can text us at any time, ask us questions. So if you're interested in joining that, just text CWTJ, that's Coffee with the Johns, to 210-794-9898. That number is also going to be in the description below, so you can check that out. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot going on this week, a, a lot of important headlines. But with that being said, I am your host, John Barbera, and with me as always is co-host extraordinaire, Mr. John Barr. I like that. It's a good intro. Yes. So how has been your week? It's been good. I'm I, trying I'm trying to think of like wow. how the week ha happened. Like, where what to all start? What all, yeah, where to start? Like what all went? I mean, um, as far as like the real estate going crazy, we listed a house last week and it just had six offers and 35 showings in like three days, uh, over ask price contract. And then very, I don't want to say easy negotiation. And we did a pretty good job with the renovations too. And they went through and I looked at the inspection report is fairly clean. Um, they wanted some stuff. I mean, getting properties rented, getting properties renovated. It's just moving right along. Moving along. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy market. I mean, this is when you got to be more strategic with how you invest level of rehab just because you want to be flipping houses sometimes i mean there's houses that we buy that doesn't really require a flip because of where it's at because of where the market is at and i still see people that they're like but i want to put subway tiles in i want to put granite countertops <laughs> i mean the house we just listed uh 
late yesterday. Uh, I for some reason I thought I had granite countertops in it, and I was looking at the pictures like, oh, this doesn't have granite. And I was like, damn, one of the comps we would have which has granite. It's like, ah, that sucks. But we already have an offer over what the comp so was sold at, and it had and granite way countertops. Over and, our ask. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I mean, a lot of times now I just realize like the asking prices are subjective. I'm just like, just put something on there and just see what comes in. And I mean, I just, I wonder like how appraisers are adjusting to this because I, I understand that when an appraiser is looking at a property, they need to look at, you know, maybe the last three months of solds and base their opinion on that. But they have to be seeing what is going on in the market and take that into account. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they have to, they yeah, have to use well, laws they're abide by. They have to look at today the, looking backwards. What laws? They use their opinion. I mean, at the end of the day, it's their opinion. It's not even based on like almost any facts. We had a house that we have as a rental. And when they got appraised, remember they appraised, they gave us $5,000 extra on an appraisal because they had a fireplace. Mm -hmm. And then we've had a house across the street that they didn't do that to. You know what I mean? And it's a fireplace in Texas. Like aside from this crazy uh it's weekend a in february like it's just five extra thousand dollars for that you know what i mean it's, it's crazy but at the end of the day it's just that and we've had bad appraisals before remember the the house in new Braunfels, the, uh, duplex? the duplex yeah that was... you know so i mean it, it, at the end of the day it's an opinion so so you don't feel that appraisers are using this information people that are overpaying people that are coming in and paying more than ask. I mean they're, they're you look at an appraisal and it does say like they do give adjustments for appreciating neighborhoods at the rate their things are going up and stuff like that and okay. it is a tool for them but it's also they can't they're still bound by they can only adjust a property so much and still use it as a comp so if somebody's in here like oh I'm gonna bid 20 grand over I mean one of ours it came in 20 grand over your ask or ask and it was just like I, I don't know how you could justify that in an appraisal. Like that is too big a gap to try to cover from what is sold right. recently. What an appraiser can look at. And um, they're saying our volume is really low. That too. Yep. But, All right. Whatever. So but, uh, I, I did want to actually start off with some uh, good news that we have some, uh, not us, but the whole country has some good news. People vaccinated against COVID-19 can go without masks indoors and outdoors. So this is from the CDC. So the CDC is saying that... all-knowing, powerful CDC. Yes. The country's pretty much open again. So if you've gotten fully vaccinated, you can go about your life. You can go anywhere you want to go. No masks, no problems. You're good to go anywhere you are. This is great news. But then at the same time, my curiosity is like, you know, well... <laughs> What's uh, stopping anybody from doing it, right? Because they say if you're fully vaccinated, so you're just taking into good faith that people that are not fully vaccinated are going to respect that? Or is it that the people that care about it get fully vaccinated, so the ones that aren't, it doesn't really matter? What do you think? Explain that again. You lost me where you're trying to go. Because they're saying that if you're fully vaccinated, you can yeah. go out. Okay. How are they? How do? How does anybody know that if you're going out without a mask that you're fully vaccinated? You don't. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So are they doing this because they're trusting that the people that are fully vaccinated are not going to be affected by the ones that are not? 
and are not wearing masks. Well, that's what that's what the vaccine does. Is it stops the virus. It keep prevents you from getting sick. Right. Uh, saying like you don't need to wear if you're if you're fully vaccinated, you can go about and you can come come in contact with somebody with COVID. And you're going to be your chances of you getting are very 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 low. Uh, I mean, they've always yeah. But um, so going on that, I mean, everything's seems to be going back to normal, at least for the CDC purposes. And yeah. President Biden gonna... was excited about it. He's already taken off his masks. So good news. Yeah, I mean, it's good news. It's just one of those things that like, well, that seemed like it took a very long time to let people, or that news to come out. Like if you're fully vaccinated, you can you can go out and about. I don't know if they're waiting for results to come back or what they're wanting to do. Because, I mean, I remember seeing they still like, if you're fully vaccinated, you still need to be wearing a mask and you still can't get together with other people that are fully vaccinated. So he's like, so was this just a giant experiment at first that you're like, hey, let's put it out to the world and see the results that come back and hopefully it works. Yeah. And it seems like it, uh, it worked. Well, so I'm excited. Everything's going back to normal. The gym that I go to, hopefully I'm going to shoot out a text to the, the owner and see if, uh, They'll stop forcing us to wear our masks because yeah, uh, talk about a, a, a workout when you're having to do Kung Fu and everything and you still have a mask on and you can't breathe. It's uh, your heart rate stays up there pretty quickly. It's not supposed to. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they're saying that the vaccines are 97 percent effective against symptomatic COVID-19 and 86 effective against asymptomatic infection in over 5000 healthcare workers. Um, they're saying over 117 million Americans have been fully vaccinated. Uh, so, I mean, everything is good. And there's even some uh, rumors and reports saying that there may not be a need for a booster shot. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe we beat this thing. I don't know, but I'm just excited that things are going back to normal, that we can start kind of, you know, get back to life. Businesses can open up. And yeah. fully open up and and be able to operate like we used to right so i think it's excellent news but all this news comes in and we have just wah, wah, massive wah. massive threats of like just out of control inflation that we're having right now and of course you you ask the government you know and they're saying nope you ask the Federal Reserve, no, 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 this isn't an inflation. Temporary. It's temporary inflation. Yeah, you guys, it's, it's you guys are focusing on the wrong numbers. That's the problem. That's the problem. So it's not that unemployment was expected to come in at a million, and it came in at... A, well, job, job creation came in at a million. Yeah, job creation was supposed to come in at a million, and it came in at just over a quarter mil. Yeah, 266. I mean, so that takes us to our first thing. Our first point here is... GOP-led states are cutting the $300 weekly federal unemployment benefits. And so far, we have Alabama came out and said, you know, we have announced that the end date of our state of emergency, there are no industry shutdowns and daycares are operating with no restrictions. Vaccinations are available for all adults. Alabama is giving the federal government our 30-day notice that it's time to get back to work. You have Arkansas, Idaho, you have uh, uh, Iowa, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, North Dakota, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and Wyoming are all joining the same fight. They're all pretty much ending at the end of June. 
So they're ending the $300 because their argument, which I agree with, is that this extra benefit that they're given this extra three hundred dollars is incentivizing people to well i mean before we even get into that let's let's back up like what's causing this of like why these numbers why these why these states are wanting to get back out of that i mean so well, well they're saying like leading into it, it's like the april's expected hiring boom they're expecting a million people mm -hmm. and it came in at 266 unemployment rose when they expected it to fall uh, from like widely across the economies. I mean, if you watch the CNBC article where the guy like read it, he like freaked out on the air and was like, oh, uh, um, um, let me check those numbers. I don't know. I think that these numbers are wrong. So unemployment was expected to go up by a million. Employment, jobs creation was go up by a million. Yeah. And it only came in at 266. That's a huge mix or miss. And it actually came in uh, lower than expected the previous month as well. Well, usually I mean, it comes off what the expectation is, but it doesn't come off by 700,000. Like, I mean, it's never been off by pretty much three quarters of what the projection was. Like, it, it's, it's the job creation number has never been off that high. That, that high. And then this prompted almost immediately for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. All right? The Chamber of Commerce is the chamber that oversees commerce. They're the biggest lobbying, the largest business lobbying group in America. Uh, and this is on Friday. They blamed a $300 per week federal jobless benefit for enticing Americans to stay home at uh, stay at home and April's far weaker than expected jobs report. The disappointing jobs report makes it clear that paying people not to work is dampening what should be stronger job markets. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce said in the House the hours after the Labor Department released its April 2021 employment report. One step policymakers should take now is ending the $300 weekly supplement unemployment benefit, the lobbying group added, based on the chamber's analysis. The $300 benefit result is approximately results in approximately one in four recipients taking home more in unemployment than they earned by working. The group attacked against the federal unemployment benefit came hours after, just hours. So like, it's not like it took that long. The second it came out, they kind of basically said, I told you so, this was going to happen. This was going to result of this $300 extra unemployment benefit. And they blamed it on that. So now you have your article with the states coming out and saying like, we're done with this crap. We're yeah. not going to pay it anymore. So you have all those states that are coming out. They're saying it's done pretty much at the end of June. And then you have the White House says that White House has not found data to back up claims that the enhanced unemployment benefits are behind the labor shortage. There have been numerous reports recently about businesses not being able to find enough workers to fill positions, especially in notoriously low-paying industries like restaurants and hospitality work, as more of those businesses reopen. There is also the need to pay a livable working wage. We don't see much evidence that the extra unemployment insurance is a major driver in people not rejoining the workforce, says uh, the speaker lady for Biden. Um, there are other factors, bigger factors, that have been contributing to the numbers we saw on Friday. The Labor Department reported well, what John just said, uh, the 266 jobs were added instead of the 1 million. And the number of unemployed Americans rose to 9.7 million in March to, uh, from 9.7 to 9.8 million. Federal benefits, which are paid on top of the state benefits, are scheduled to continue until September 6, unless states opt out of the federal government's supplemental unemployment benefits. So they are saying that the $300 
extra that they're given is not incentivizing people to stay home. There's no proof of that. I just, to me, it's just, I don't see how that there's, you know, that's not the cause. If people are collecting unemployment, plus they're collecting an extra $300 a week for all these lower entry level jobs, why would they go do them? They're getting paid the same, if not more, to just stay home. And they don't even have to prove anymore that they can't get a job. They just have to file for it. They just have yeah. to ask for it, and that's it. They don't have to like, continue to look for work or say they're looking for work or anything. Right. It's like, I'm just staying at home so, and doing it. Hey, podcast, thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you want to get very exclusive insider tips and strategies that nobody else is getting, then you need to join our text community by texting podcast to 210-794-9898. That's 210-794-9898. Text the word podcast and you will start receiving insider information, things that are happening that we're realizing that we're implementing in real time that other people have no access to. So make sure you text us now. Now back to the show. So, I mean, while that's crazy already we also have um your your uncle bernie sanders is uh came out and said that he's the who's in charge of the um, uh what's it called department of labor so they said even though these states are opting to remove this the federal government is going to step in and give that money anyway to those people in those states so even though states supposedly, to my understanding, had the opportunity to govern themselves. The, Bernie Sanders is saying that the federal government, even though these states are going to cut it, they're going to, the uh, Department of Labor is going to step in and make sure that those people still get well, their money. Curious is like, how are you going to do that? Because each state runs their own unemployment system. Yeah. The state issues the money and then the federal government gives it to the state state sends to them so how are they going to bypass the system all of it's set up through the states so how are you going to bypass this and say oh we're still going to give it to them is it just bernie Sanders talking fluff or is the government like the government does it's like you don't have the systems to create that to where you can get to these people because they file through the states right and the states don't give you the information how do you know who's filing for unemployment yeah so i mean they're saying i mean he came out and said he's like this is you know this is insane that you guys are doing this um, but they said the, the way that the law, the CARES Act is written is requires Department of Labor to provide pandemic unemployment assistance. So they're going to be doing it through that law where they're going to be providing this extra benefit. And they've got a sort of statutory duty to do that. So they're saying that the Department of Labor is going to come in anyway. And they're saying that all these states are, you know, they're completely wrong and this is going to hurt Americans. But here's my thing, my, my argument on all this is that how is this, again, how is this not affecting the labor market when you are keeping people, you're paying people pretty much to stay home? Now, one thing I did like is Montana is getting away with it, but they're doing a $1,200 get back to work incentive. So for the people that do get a job, they're going to get a $1,200 uh, check written to them. Oh. So to me, I'm like, that's a much better incentive. You know, and they're saying, oh, well, the problem is, you know, these companies, they're not paying enough. They're entry-level jobs. You understand? Like, yes, they may suck. 
and yeah like they've never been amazing jobs like w talk about a way to enforce to force the rise of minimum wage without forcing the rise of minimum wage oh 100 i mean that's the direct result of this right like yeah. it's created such a shortage in employment such a shortage and and this is what's creating the that chain effect that we talk about of lumber prices going up air, uh, supply chains being affected everything because it all starts with you know lower income people like people entry, entry, entry level, level jobs, jobs. Like the, those everything is connected so uh we're seeing this and this is creating such a massive shortage in employment which is creating the further increase of inflation that we're seeing because now people cannot afford to produce the amount they used to produce so the little that they can produce they got to sell it at a higher price the people buying it are paying more they got to resell their stuff at a higher price so it's like it's boosting up prices it's increasing prices for everything well that's just to me, like it's, it reinforces the fact that like when you force higher wages that does nothing more but hurt the people that you're trying to benefit by increasing their wages because those costs goes just get passed straight through. Like uh, Bet David talked about it when he's like, corporations don't pay taxes. Right. And he's like, you raise their taxes. Yes, they may make more money, but all they do is they pass that tax straight onto the end consumer. They don't pay the tax. Like it goes from twenty one to twenty eight or whatever they're trying to raise. It's like all that's going to do is increase your prices. It's like they don't pay taxes. It is their their margins. Those big corporations that everyone hates so much, their margins are locked in pretty much. Yeah. they can't really fluctuate on large scales. So when you move their taxes up, all they do is they cut jobs or they raise prices yeah. to take into account for that. It makes it more stressful and more less of a great place to work at that point. So like they don't pay the tax. It goes passes straight oh. through. So it, it hurts those people that you're trying to benefit. It's like. McDonald's workers, labor workers at like Amazon and things like that. It's like it makes all your entry level consumer goods go through the roof. Gas prices go up, which now hurts per people even more. So it's like it doesn't work. And it's exactly right. Right? They keep talking about how we we need to help those uh, less fortunate, the people that are not making enough. All of this, this inflation is hurting them directly mm -hmm. because food costs gone way up. Go try to buy a house with an FHA loan right now. Yeah. Exactly. It's not even go try to get an FHA loan. You'll get one. You just can't get a house yeah. because you're being outbid by people that have cash yep. left and right. So all of these incentives, all these things are hurting them even more. And this is what we always talk about always is that the more you try to give to people, the more you're hurting them. Yeah. You know, and I even heard it just recently. Uh, Tony Robbins did an interview with an economist and Tony Robbins for everybody that knows him, if you don't, um, Google. Uh, but he's big on psychology and and you know how to become, how to be happy, how to be fulfilled, all these things, right? And he says, giving people like a, a universal basic income and stuff like that, he's like, you're gonna create a lot more depression. People need to feel like they're contributing. He says it's a human need. He says it's not you know a certain class or a certain kind of people like. It's a human need. You need to feel like you're doing something useful, something productive. You understand? And getting paid to do something useful, something productive is what makes you feel really good. That's like, I got rewarded for doing this. Now yeah. you're getting rewarded for doing nothing. It gets to a point where at first it's great, but after a while it's like, I mean, you, it's, you a short, it's a short boost. I mean, just like, oh, I got a huge raise. And then think about it when you're working. 
Um, and all of a sudden your boss comes in, Hey, we're going to give you a bonus. Hey, we're going to raise your income and stuff like that. And like, you feel really cool. Like, awesome. Like, man, I'm making more money. That first paycheck comes in that second paycheck, third paycheck, fourth paycheck uh, by that fifth, sixth, it's just the new status quo. Yep. And it is what it is. And you're, you go back to your previous feelings about your job, whether good or bad, but it's like, it's a short term boost that doesn't last very long. And in trying to increase these wages, giving things for free to people, it's like, it's just, it doesn't work. And then like uh, one of the articles to add with it, like who's is hurt? Like restaurants. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, talk about an industry that in leisure and hospitality, the service workers to service foods and these big conventions, like they're not really high paid job. They're very low skill uh, required stuff. It's like, you're just taking food to somebody. Uh, it's like, and those industries were the hardest hit in this whole COVID thing. They had the most layoffs, the most job closures or businesses that shut down. And now they're trying to come back and everyone wants, everyone's got money going out. Like, man, I'm so excited to go and eat. I'm so excited to go to these conventions. And then they cannot hire the people to go work. So one of the articles is titled restaurants are sucking wind, but fighting back amid a worker shortage. And some of the stuff they're doing, trying to hire people is just insane towards like, tell me I'm reading this and tell me that $300 to sit at home isn't hurting these people. So the article starts out like some businesses survive thanks to government assistance, take out businesses, businesses and the luck of the draw, but many did not. On top of that, they're now faced with a crippling work worker shortage as well as regulatory and legislative obstacles. Now keep in mind, this was done by uh, CNBC, which usually does not give conservative views. Right. So like they're even coming out saying like, you got a problem here <laughs> more than 11, 110,000 bars and restaurants shut their doors for good in 2020, according to the National Restaurant Association. In most states, harsh lockdown measures imposed to combat COVID-19 forced businesses that already operated at low margins to shut completely, then reopen with mostly limited capacity. So like margins of bars and restaurants, like you worked in the restaurant industry, like you don't have 50% margins. Um, no. on your food like you're like five like you must sell a meal well, for 10 I, bucks and you might make like 50 cents off you have the you have the margin on the food but it's it's everything else that goes with running the restaurants the employees all the stuff that's like no they're not making that much yeah. money so but as vaccine vaccinations provide hope in a pandemic fight the fortunes may start turning for hospitality focused businesses it's a Gutstuma is preparing for a summer he anticipates as potentially record-breaking in terms of demand, but fears a significant problem on the other end, supply, as in getting enough labor to meet all the customers hungry to get out and get back to dine or back to dining out again. In a situation hardly unique to bars and restaurants, Gutzba sums up, this is a, a restaurant owner in Philadelphia, sums up the essential challenge now. Plentiful positions open, but extremely difficult in filling them due to the number of factors. There are enhanced unemployment benefits, although the article even calls this out. There are enhanced unemployment benefits that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce says serves as a disincentive for lower paid workers to return their, to their jobs. There are also skill mismatches resulting in workers struggling to adapt to new disciplines, as well as lingering fears over the pandemic future path that is still keeping some at home. He's like, so he even says, like, we've increased wages. Yeah. We have about three different staffing agencies that are constantly looking for people. Other restaurants are walking around neighborhoods, passing out flyers. The heroes in our communities are the people currently working for you and me. These people are burnt out. April's non-farm payroll. We already talked about that. Some economists cited enhanced unemployment benefits as drivers behind the short shortness of labor. While others said the count could have been just a statistical anomaly. 
<laughs> that's where I was like, okay, that's a great way to put it. Statistical anomaly that we were short 300,000 or 700,000 employees in our job reports of what we were expecting to come out. It was a computer out. glitch. Yeah, computer glitch. But it's just saying like that they're calling it out. It's like those restaurant workers, those people wanting to get out, like it's like they're not there. They don't want to come. Like I remember seeing a, a sign posted on like is a restaurant Burger King or something like that and says, please be nice to our employees. It's like because like these are the we're extremely short staffed and the ones that are showing up um, and we like hands off to the, the employees that are actually showing up yeah. is like, cause the others don't want to come back to work. So it was like, when they need five people to run the restaurant, 10 people run the restaurant and like two people are showing up causing a massive shortage and people are getting pissed off at them because it's taking so long to get their food. And it's like, they're doing all they can. Like they're well, actually the, showing the up to work. The thing is like what they're trying to fight for. And what I feel is, is it's dumb in my opinion is that. They want you to work at a McDonald's or, you know, even even like we talk about the hospitality industry, all that. And for that to be your only job, your only one job. And it's like, I'm sorry, those are low skilled jobs. Those are entry level jobs. That's something for you to just get into the workforce Prove that you're dependable. Prove that you show up on time. That you you're some references. Yeah, and and then you build up from there, right? Yeah. Like that's the whole point of it. That's the whole purpose of all of those jobs. You can't you can't be making a living off of those because that affects the rest of the industries. Because now you increase the wages for that. Okay, increase the wages. Go ahead, increase them to what you feel is justified. Now the same restaurant or the same uh, event space or whatever has to increase their charges that much more because they can't afford it. You yep. understand? Now the people that are booking them got to pay more and they got to make more. So at the end of the day, everything else goes up and guess where we're at? Right back, back to where we started. It's just, it cannot be even. You understand? For something to have value, something else can't. It's a, sh it's a short-term boost. Like, yes, they'll go up for a short period of time, but as the economy rolls back around, all those price adjustments in back come to it, like everything's going to be right back. Food costs are higher, living costs are higher, energy's higher, water's higher, everything's higher. So it's like, yeah. you didn't increase anything. So it's like, your education and your skill set needs to be what improves. And paying you more money to do the same job does not increase your skill set or your value to the economy right. or to the world. And that, that's what's creating all the, the food prices going up, lumber prices. You, I was reading an article, too, about farmers. They're like, we can't find labor. We can't find workers. It's not that nature stopped producing stuff or yeah. that cows fell off the face of the earth or trees stopped growing. It's that we can't find the people that we need. And what this is going to do is, again, these are the things that I see that keep hurting the same people that supposedly they're trying to help. Because now what's what ends up happening, these companies start figuring out ways that they can do it with less people. Ways that they can do this without you're people. You're going to eliminate jobs from the freaking economy. It's like entrepreneurs are going to see an opportunity. Like we need to, we need to figure out how to like make these businesses more efficient. What are we going to do? Automate technology, eliminate new ways of creating food, new ways to do things. Um, as Molly put in here, she's in the event industry. So like events are coming back. The amount of weddings we see this summer and fall are crazy, but we are short in labor. To set up an event takes many, many hands. The staff working right now are burnt out. They are working crazy hours and doing the same amount of work of what we did pre-COVID. Yeah, and she said to the, yes, be kind. These staffers need a kind smile and friendly attitudes when you speak with them. That 
is going to make their day because it's like if you're working it's like you're the only person that is willing to work you're working from 7 a.m to 11 p.m six seven days a week because like we just you have to have it you need somebody there in order to fulfill these events so uh, it's it's something that and i also had seen something about how uh covet has caused higher burnout rates right because they've been saying the same thing there's like there's less people working so the people that are working are having to do more yeah and it gets to a point where, and I've seen this even with my sister. I mean, my, my sister, she's a freaking hustler. That girl gets as many jobs as she needs. Like, she doesn't make excuses for anything. She just goes out and gets it done, right? But it doesn't matter how much money she makes. What matters is how fulfilled you are in the job you're doing, yeah. right? And that's what's lacking. Because a lot of these, like, they're not supposed to be fulfilling jobs. They're supposed to literally be stepping stones. Yeah. You know, and now you're in a job that was supposed to be a stepping stone and you're trying to make that a career. And then you're struggling. Like, no, there's a reason why people had two or three jobs and why you have to, because it's like something needs to motivate you to want to do something better. Yeah. Right. And if you start taking that motivation away and everything, like, it's just not going to work. It's not. And it's already proven that it's not going to work. You give them more money. What's happening? This happens. More unemployment, less people going to work, depression is going up, a use of medical drugs has been going up, alcohol abuse has been going up. All those have been going up because why? People are losing their meaning. People are losing yeah. their purpose in life where they're feeling so that excitement. Just... That need is like, I have things I need to do today and I have something to look forward to in my life. Well, and why is it? Why is it? And why is it always been? I've known this even as a kid is that you have... You retire and you die. Like, it's always been the same thing. that It's always been told to me as a kid. They're like, as soon as you retire, you die. And you look at the stats and it's like most people that retire, like a few years later, they end up dying. Because they have no more purpose. They have nothing else. Like, yeah, yeah they may have the money to live, but what's the quality of life without purpose, without contribution? So you're taking all this away, and now the, here's another article that I saw in California. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom is trying his hardest to get reelected. Uh, Governor Gavin announced the largest state tax rebate in U.S. history. So California's going to come back roar, roaring, said... Uh, Governor Gavin, on Monday, as he announced his $100 billion California comeback plan. Oh, my God. Yep. He called it the biggest economic recovery package in state's history, including unprecedented investments to address the region's most persistent challenges, starting with nearly $12 billion in direct cash payments to Californians hit hardest by the pandemic. According to Newsom's office, it is the largest tax rebate by any state in American history year over year. Chief among the new proposals is major expansion of the Golden State stimulus, providing additional direct payments to middle class families that make up to $75,000. Under the plan, two thirds of Californians will benefit from $600 direct payments. Qualified families with dependents included undocumented families will also now be eligible for an additional $500 
The plan triples California's previous investment, reaching more people and giving bigger benefits. California's recovery is well underway, but we can't be satisfied with simply going back to the way things were, said Newsom. We are tripling the Golden State stimulus to get money in the hands of the middle class Californians who have been hit hard by this pandemic. Two in three Californians will receive a check from the state and more than $5 billion in aid will be made available to those who need help paying their rent and utility bills. Under Newsom's California comeback plan, the state would also offer the largest renter assistance package of any state in America with billions of dollars to help low-income Californians pay back 100% of their back rent, their rent for the months to come, and overdue water and utility bills. Those efforts are budgeted at a little over $7 billion. The governor who faces a recall election later this year, what a surprise, pointed out that last year the state was projected to have $53 billion budget shortfall, which this year has become a $75.7 billion budget surplus. It's remarkable turnaround, he said. Newsom's $100 billion California comeback plan will be funded by that surplus, and he said an additional $26 billion coming from the federal government. Wow. So I, I just, I, well, one thing I love that it's like uh, in California, though, they have their problems with their pension plans and their taxes and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like now for once they have a, but or not for once, maybe they've had it in the past. I don't know, but they had this budget surplus and then immediately they're going to go spend it. No, we're not going to lower taxes anywhere. We're not going to like give relief that way to them. No, we're just going to give cash to people. And it's like, and we're going to keep all our taxes high. And they're actually, they're raising their taxes uh, on the highest income earners to like 17% or something like that. So they're raising their taxes, but like now you have this budget surplus. Like how about you just give tax tax breaks yeah. instead of sucking more money from the government? How about you just say, well, you know what? We're just going to lower your taxes that are going to help you over the time and incentivize. So instead of saying like, Hey, we want the entrepreneurs and the business owners, give them relief to create jobs. We're just going to give cash to these people so that the ever consuming government can just get larger. And one thing that's crazy when you're reading that it's like, so they're giving it, the extra six hundred dollars to people that make seventy five thousand, right? Mm-hmm. So after seventy five thousand, it phases out. California is not a cheap place to live. Two in three Californians will receive a check. To me, it's like so. Two in three people make seventy five grand or less living in California. Like, my God. Well, I mean, it is a big state. So when you, I think when you remove. What is it like the three major areas in California, LA, San Diego, and San Francisco? Like everything else, I think normalizes a little bit more. So it, it might be something because of that, you know. And then they're also including undocumented families. Yeah. Right. So a lot of undocumented workers, they don't report like 100% of what they make if they report anything at all. Right. So it's, you don't know, you know, it, it's, it's going to be like, a large <sighs> number. My thing is like he says, to help the recovery. Not one thing in the article or anything that he said shows how you're going to help the economy. You're just saying how you're giving people money. Yeah. But what are you doing for businesses that actually produce consistent money, right? Employment, 
paying people wages, all that. What are you doing for businesses to come back to California out of yeah. all the ones that have left? And, and what's your relief? Like, instead of like, you have this massive budget surplus and it's like, we're just going to give it back to the people. It's like, back to the same thing. It's like, how about you lower the freaking taxes on some of these hard hit businesses on your middle class? Like, it's like your income drivers, people that produce for your economy, people that would like, make businesses want to come to California and start businesses there by lowering taxes, making a more business friendly state so you don't get decimated by places like Tennessee, Florida, Texas, yeah. Idaho, well, where your businesses are running too. And, and what I'm seeing with all this is that it's getting to a point where we've seen in Argentina and other countries where you pretty much now it's to a point where you give people a sandwich and a coke and they'll vote for you you know what i mean like you're buying oh votes. yeah this right here where it's I like mean, he's facing a recall election and now it's like well we're gonna come out and give a whole bunch of money yeah. to a whole bunch of people and that's how we're gonna get voted so kind of moving on from uh that a little bit are you good with all that um anything no as far as that mean, goes that, that... oh one thing i did want to touch on though one thing that i i did find interesting is uh some CEOs are starting to drop their degree requirements in hiring. So because of the labor shortages and everything that we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of CEOs of major companies, they're starting to just say, you know what? We're not requiring you to have a bachelor's degree or anything like that. Like if you have certain skill sets or whatever, and they're saying that this is going to be a great help for the minorities and for everybody that, you know, that, haven't been able to go to college, but maybe have the skill sets to get that kind of job, right? Because they, they, they're smart, they're hardworking and all that. So a lot of big companies are starting to just drop the whole, and this is something that we've talked about and I believe wholeheartedly where colleges are not what they used to be. You know, right now there's more and more jobs being created that don't really require your t traditional college well, degree for college it. degrees anymore. It's like the, a lot of them are a joke yeah. and, and that it comes down to like anytime the government steps in and subsidizes something like you just create massive amounts of waste. Look at our healthcare system. You look at uh, the, the student loan debt that's come out when it's like, Hey, kids can go to school and they can get like these, super down loan, these super low loans and the government's going to back them because banks didn't want to do it. They're too high risk, too high default rates. Yeah. So they're like the free market's like, no, 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 we're not going to do this because they're just too high risk. They have no credit where government comes in and says, we're going to give them to everybody. So now where does that money flow? The universities. Every kid goes to the university can get free money and that money goes right to the university. And then now you have freaking football stadiums for UT that are larger yeah. than any NFL stadium. And they have nicer equipment than NFL stadiums. So we're like, in these campuses to where it's like they have to reinvest because if they don't put the money into the universities to make these elaborate, fancy, high-end, beautiful-looking campuses, the next campus is going to do it. Well, where do they get that money? They get it from the students who get it from the government. Yeah. And it's like, so it's not being reinvested into teachers and education. It's been into the amenities that make people just want to come so they can sustain their jobs. And, where, and, and don't get me wrong where I do believe that Higher level education is necessary for a lot of things, right? Uh, you, you know, you want to become a doctor, you want to become an attorney, mm -hmm. you want to become something along those lines. You do need higher level education. Oh, my my and, favorite one is like a degree in entrepreneurship. Or marketing. How are you, you going to hire somebody for entrepreneurship? Because then like an entrepreneur doesn't hire an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. It's like, no, because you're just going to come in my business and then you're going to take it and you're going to go start your own. Right. And it's like, <laughs> they're telling me like, you're going to got this degree that says you want to go out on your own. So why would I hire somebody that's obviously just going to leave? Yeah. 
Well, it's that and the same for like marketing. I do a lot of the marketing and it changes very, very quickly. Are you telling me these colleges are adapting that fast to what's been changing in marketing space? Come on. You know what I mean? Like these are things that's like, what the hell are you doing? Like you're definitely, those kids and stuff, I think you're going to college for fun. You know what I mean? You're going because it's a good time. Well, it's also one of the things like you look at the previous generation, like our our, our parents and the, the now coming up to where it's like college was a thing that you needed to go do when they were kids. Like yeah. The program is like, hey, you need a degree to move up in these degrees or up in the career path. And that made sense back then. But now it's gotten to such a mass scale that it's like, OK, that's now not working because you can get all these fluff degrees that mean nothing, saddle you with debt. They don't provide any real value to the economy. Yeah. Besides, like you just have a degree. Yeah, I think colleges and the education system overall needs to adapt and, and modify to a more uh, hands-on kind of learning. So let's say you want to learn marketing or something, then it's like, okay, you can go to school for marketing, but it's going to be marketing in the now, right? You're going to be going to school or perhaps you're going to be going to school at Google, right? You're going to yeah. be going to school at Facebook, at whatever other major company. Well, I mean, Amazon, Walmart, they're all doing it. Anybody, like, any major company is doing a massive amount of marketing. They're going to have a schooling program that you can go to, and you're going to learn marketing in the now yeah. because you're learning what is working it for It just them. shows that like, the, it's like the private sector versus the government where it's like the government was trying to incentivize education, get people more educated for the private sector. The private sector said, oh, that worked for a while, but now it's not working anymore and you're failing us. So we are going to reinvest and do it ourselves. Well, and, and it's not even just to blame the government, right? Because it's, it's difficult, like we talked before, for the government to adapt at the speed that the market can adapt to, right? Because mm -hmm. like we, we talked about before, you come out with a bill, you, it doesn't get executed. Now, in order to even execute it, you got to come out with another bill to execute the bill that you can't, you know, it's so much policy, yeah. so much crap there's going not, there's on. There's not enough, there's, it's not based on like decision makers. It's based on it, votes yeah, and voters. And opinions or, and, and the majority of them, it's based on people that have no idea what the hell they're talking about, right? Like yeah. they're career politicians, don't even know what it is to be in the workforce anymore. So it's like, you have all that coming up. And I think the free market did a great job where they're like, all right, let me take that back. You know, you, you can't adapt this quickly. So now the government needs to modify that. You know, instead of trying to over-regulate again, why don't you try to deregulate a little bit and that's, pull uh, back some of the things a little bit? I was texting with a friend of mine. It's like, that's never an answer, though. No. Like, deregulate. Like, it's like, let's remove some of these barriers. Let's go back. Instead of passing new laws, let's go back and see what old laws can be eliminated to things move faster. But it's like, that's not the government's nature. Government, the government is just like a corporation, the fact that it wants to grow. Yeah. It needs to grow and survive and wants to flourish. So, like, having a bunch of red tape, a lot of things that increase costs and cog things up makes the government bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have a, that's a perfect, yeah, I was going to say, like, so you have right there for the regulatory a, costs. There's a article here that I was reading that regulatory costs add nearly $94,000 to new home prices. So a recent study by the national associations of home builder found that regulations imposed by all levels of government on new homes account for 93 thousand eight hundred and seventy dollars or twenty three point eight percent of the current average sale price of 
$397,000. So you're building a house that's selling for 400 grand. You are spending nearly $94,000 just on the government regulation side of it. All right. That's to the builder. So when people say, oh, builders are greedy and everything, try to look at the numbers. Out of the ninety-three, uh, out of the ninety-four thousand dollars, forty-one thousand dollars is attributed to regulation during development, and fifty-two is due to regulation during construction. The study was filed, filled out by, uh, two thousand seventy-one National Home Builders Association members. Yes, I was trying to. Yeah, numbers. I get a little <laughs> dyslexic. Uh, and 57 developers. And nearly all of the builders, 98.9% uh, per the study, reported experiencing uh, some type of regulatory cost during construction. Added together, the average of these costs across all homes in the report accounted for 21.5% of the builder's construction costs and 13.3% of the final house price. So, I mean, it, it's an insane amount, right? And then you have lumber prices have tripled over the last past 12 months and are causing the price of the average new single-family home to increase by $35,000. That is a huge amount. As of the beginning of May, the price of framing lumber is nearly $1,500 per thousand board feet. That's up more than 250% since April of 2020, which was 350 per thousand. So before it, April 2020, it was 350 per thousand. Right now it's 1500 per thousand. I mean- The highest it's ever been. It's, it's beyond nuts how, and, and, but it's not just, it's the highest it's ever been, but in the period of time, in less than a year, it went up that high. That's so, what's crazy. Like I was walking around Home Depot and I sent you guys a picture yesterday that a half, half inch piece of plywood. Plywood is a big, component to construction it's what's on the outside of your house it's what's uh underneath your siding it's what's underneath your roof there's a lot of sheets of plywood go into your house and that sucker was 48 dollars and as like <laughs> my God. 48 bucks a year ago was under 10 so you're saying this thing has rose 40 dollars like that's that's even that's like 500 percent increase i know lumber across the board is at 250 yeah. percent. yeah these are averages plywood yeah. is up 500 percent. well it's the same like what we talked about the inflation and food costs and everything there's an average inflation but in particular areas it's gone up drastically you're talking about you know 10x on a lot of things so yeah. you're looking at plywood i mean i remember when i was doing construction plywood i mean there were times that you had you have extra plywood, and it's like, well, whatever. It just sat outside. It's, you it's know? not worth going to return this no, thing anymore. It's like, it, it, it's good to go back to Home Depot for the $8 here. It's not worth it. But now, not, like, I can actually sheet of plywood. That's 50 freaking bucks. Yeah. Like, to where now, it's like, man, I'm thinking about taking some of our houses apart and go sell them for parts. Yeah, they're I was like, it, just in materials. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to take my house apart and just go start selling off pieces of siding. So, even, well, let me finish this. So, it says this study illustrates how overregulation is exacerbating the nation's housing affordability crisis and that policymakers need to take bold steps to reduce or eliminate unnecessary regulation that will help builders increase the production of quality affordable housing to meet growing market demand. So you're looking at, like we talk about, to, uh, nearly a quarter of the cost to build a, a new home is going to regulations. And we see it ourselves. We're building a house right oh, now. Yeah, we currently. bought 
a, 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 house, uh, a lot that had a slab three months ago already in place. The slab was there, right? There was a yep. house sitting there. At and some point. At some point, there was a house sitting there. We bought it because we we're going to build a house right where it was, right? It, just like anybody else would. All of a sudden, the city has a problem where the slab is. Because of some zoning regulation or something in the code that's like, uh, this slab is non-conforming. It needs to be five feet away from the lot line, and it's right on the lot line. It's like, the house was there. It was built there in the yeah. 80s. Like, what do you mean I can't put a house back on top of something where it was actually at originally? Well, it's just not, it doesn't work. It, we, we, you can't build there. And, here, and we're just and, stopped dead in the water to where like, we still, we got another month. Before well, we can try to resolve this issue. And that's that's where I was going to get to, right? Like, we've talked to a few people and they're like, no, you know, you, you'll be okay. You just got to present it in front of uh, whatever the hell the board, board is. Board of adjusters. The board yeah. of adjusters and all that. And, and most likely it'll get approved. Okay, so when is that? Well, you got to wait. Like, at the time, it was like over a month now for, for that next meeting. It's like, And you got to pay $600 to go in front of that board. This is the city's problem. The city created this issue with the way they did the zoning, the way they did permits sometime in the past. Now, and that's why I was getting so mad yeah. there at the, and I was trying to be so respectful, but I was getting so frustrated. It's like, I'm not trying to get mad at me. You have to realize like where my frustration is coming from. You're telling me the city screwed up 50 years ago in allowing this to happen or whenever this happened in the past, this issue happened. Yeah. I'm trying to build a house on top of what the slab already is. It's right there. And now you're telling me I have to pay you $600 to fix your issue. And it's like, and not only that, I don't have to wait six weeks to get in front of a board to potentially fix this issue. And I can't even finish going through the city to get my permits until that issue resolved. So even, so now I have to wait six weeks to get in front of you, pay you for that. I now have to pay interest. Lumber prices are increasing ever so much every single day going up. And then now... I get through your six-week process. I get approved. I still have to go through and finish my permits because you've now stopped me at step three, and I got to get to step 10 now, in order to submit my drawings and my plans. So now here's the, the question for these uh, you know, very smart regulators. Who do you think is going to pay for all that extra? The end consumer. What the hell else do we do? Like, it's not that, you know, people say, oh, you builders, investors, you guys are the, the problem. It's like, it's not us. Like, we sell at what the market is. But if you're causing these delays, all of these things, it's costing us more money on, on bureaucracy. Because at the end of the day, you are all telling me that we'll be okay. We just got to do this formality that's going to delay us six weeks. So that's money costs, holding costs. Lumber, Lumber keeps prices, going up. Yep. So... We are losing tremendous amount of money waiting these six weeks. And then at the end of those six weeks, everything goes well. We got to still submit because we can't submit. We can't get ahead of it anyway. So yep. it's like we can't do anything until that happens. Yeah, because they won't let me submit until I have a complete package. Like there's other issues and things I need to fix that are easy fixes. Of course. No problem. But now... It's like, well, you can't submit that until you solve this issue. It's like, why well, can't I get through the rest of this damn thing and yeah. say, pending this review, you're good to go. And then the other thing that gets very frustrating working with the city is that, you know, they, they see that, right? And let's say there's already another issue that we could potentially solve right now on the same docket for the same board. They're not going to address that or they're not even going to tell you about it. So once you address the first issue, you're like, okay, so we addressed it. Cool. Let's go. Yeah. But now you have this issue. 
well, why didn't you tell me that before? So we addressed it. Well, you have it now, so wait another six weeks. Yep. What the hell? And this is like, seriously, this slab has been sitting here for years, not being built on because of this BS that you guys have. And it's a perfectly good slab, but because, oh, we created this extra level of bureaucracy, it's now five feet over where it's allowed to be. And it's like, oh my God, how is there not like, well, there's a process for to resolve these issues that takes forever. And then I have to pay to solve your issues. But it's one of the things like uh, we have somebody that works within the city sits on some of these boards and he's like, I originally joined this boards to see if I could help try to fix these issues. But then I very quickly realized that it's a revenue generator for the city. They don't want to fix it. They want these processes to have to pay them to generate revenue for the city. That's all it is. And it's like, well, and cool. people say that, you know, oh, I'm cynical or whatever, because like I say, like, guys, how much do you guys want for this? You know, what do you want? $600, $1,000? Okay, here, can I cut you the check and can you just let me go through? Oh, that's not the problem. The guy, come on. You know you're full of shit. You want the $1,000. Can I just give you the $1,000 because it's still cheaper than waiting these six weeks? And the same with inspectors, the same with everything. It's that handout that they want where it's like, well, how about you tell me what the handout is beforehand so I can give it to you so you don't hurt me even more. Yeah. Because it's not a, the handout means absolutely nothing. It's the delays that are killing us. Yep. You know, and, and that's the stuff that they just don't, either don't think or just could care, care less about. Yeah, they don't care. And, and that's the stuff. It's like everything. This is what I try to tell people and where people just don't try, don't, understand and they get upset with me is that everything is a it, everything is a domino effect right this affects this which affects this and everything comes back around and hits everybody those mm-hmm. dominoes are going to hit everybody so you hurting us here is still going to hurt you you don't understand that like nobody's looking they're looking at it ah screw well, them it's the builders ah screw them it's the investors they got money well it's also higher, pri- higher prices real estate prices what's that do generate more revenue for the city more because taxes. now they can write the higher property taxes yeah. and that's just like oh my god and one thing i was i was talking to a friend of mine uh about this and it's just all right so lump plywood's up 500 percent. okay okay who is making that money because prices went from $8 to $48 a sheet. Inflation. Nobody's no, no, making it. But that's no but where's it, who where's that money going? That extra $40, how, where is it going? Who's getting it? It's going through the supply chain. And that's what I said it's like so is it he's like he's like uh, cuz he's debating he lives up in Seattle and he's like we're debating of like selling off some of our land timber to go to generate some revenue. He's like but the landowner's not getting the temp, the money from the timber. So the beginning of the supply chain isn't getting the the, the I was prices. about to say, why the hell would he sell the land? You're sitting not the, on not a the land, man. selling the trees. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's like, so he's like, but we're not getting it. Okay, you're not getting it. What do you mean Obviously, he's not getting it? Like he's not getting like an exuberant amount of extra money for the timber than what he would have gotten a year ago. Why not? Because it's not there. It's like they're not. It's like who? That's why I said like. Who's making that extra forty dollars? So like the person selling the lumber is not getting it. Mm-hmm. The build the developer at the end of the chain is not getting it from the sales price. So it's like so instead of like because they say like they say developers are making all this extra money. Well, obviously we're not. So who? So I go say well Home Depot's making all the money because I buy it from them. Home Depot goes no, we're this is our price and the price increase we've saved. Yeah, it's so the same. It just goes it, down. It's gone up so this- so where 
in that supply chain, or, just, is, or is everybody yeah. everybody's making more money, but they just don't realize it's like because oh. that say that that piece of plywood ch- touches um, forty people along the way, right? So every person's making an extra dollar, but they don't realize they're making an extra dollar. Yeah, along the entire well, way. The, so that's not even the problem. Like everybody, I think everybody along the way, like even your friend, right? He's not getting maybe what he thought he would be getting, but he's still getting more than what he would have a year ago. So he's already getting some of that like, money. He's getting a dollar. Right? And the then next the next guy, dollar. the problem is that he all of a sudden says, I want more than a dollar, right? I want $3 more. So then the person buying it says, F you, I'm not paying you $3 more. I'll just try to go somewhere else or I'll wait you out. So now this starts causing delays. And that's where I think we're seeing the big drastic increase. And it's the same thing like we talked about, I believe it was last week, with that lady was telling me about the cattle issue, right? Is that you have the person selling the cattle saying, no, I want more for my cow. And the, the butchers or whoever it is that are buying it, they're like, screw you, I'm not paying that much more. So now there's a shortage of meat. You know, so I think you have that kind of, that, needs to once it will level well, off at some point like, and that's what Chris but like, it's what, just initially i think what is the definition of inflation it's too few dollars too many dollars chasing too few of goods so now it's like when you, they pumped that much money into the system created massive amounts of liquidity that's why because people are willing to pay that amount because they have the extra cash to do it it's like well i got this loan i need to stay in business so i can afford to pay you instead of a dollar i'm gonna pay you a dollar fifty yeah. Well, then the next guy is like, well, I'm going to do the exact same thing. So you have a lot of extra cash chasing too few of goods and it's ending up in everybody's pockets spread around the place. But what's the problem with that is like, it's a self-reinforcing cycle going up towards like, well, the end consumer is like, well, we have to raise prices. Well, as long as the end, the end consumer pays that price, it reinforces the behavior all the way down the supply chain yeah. until it stops. Interest rates rise. People run out of money. People fill out, find housing. Inventory rises. It's going to continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's that's the problem with the overall inflation. When you pump that much money into and just giving it to everybody is now they just go out and spend it like a drunken sailor of just like, here's money, here's money, here's money. And it causes prices to go up and everything just drastically go crazy because you have no efficiency to or incentive to bring costs down. How much money does a drunken sailor have? I don't know. Eventually they end up with none. Oh, because they're spending it. <laughs> but one of the things that, you know, uh, we have Lori here and she says that there, she's heard that there's a glue shortage due to COVID, right? Uh, to my understanding, a lot of glues are made with sawdust, like, uh, yeah, whatever, oh, sawdust, whatever, uh, other particles. So obviously those things get affected and that's the problem. We're seeing shortage in copper. We're seeing shortages across the board ourselves. We're seeing shortages of being able to purchase dishwashers, stoves, stuff like that, where we can't find what we used to buy. So the next step up is like we used to buy, let's say, a full kitchen package for about a thousand bucks. Now we're buying a whole kitchen package for under like fifteen hundred, yep. you know, or two thousand dollars or more, right? Because it's more than doubled for what's available. So it's like you're seeing shortages in all these areas. So that's where we keep talking about is like. Everything affects everything else. And I think this is where people get into trouble, perhaps, is when a crisis happens or a shift, a market shift, everybody tries to develop maybe new rules, new policies, new systems in the moment, where I think 
this right now is the world is going crazy trying to figure out what I guess the new normal is going to be. I don't think this is the new normal. I think this is right now out of whack, right? Yeah. It's out of whack. People are overcorrecting left and right. Home prices, builders, food, everything. Um, even uh, employee wages, all of these things are overcorrecting. But at some point, everybody's going to get to a point, even the guy selling the cattle is going to get to a point where he's like, uh, okay, I'm kind of running low on money. I'm going to have to sell one of these cows, mm. you know, because I, you know, I try to stick my guns on this, but like I need some money. So he sells for a little bit less and then he sells the other one for the same price. And now all of a sudden, now there's a price on cattle that is yeah. justifiable. There's an efficiency and then, model to it towards like not everyone has extra money to stay put. But what it's, needs to happen, and in my opinion, is all of this government handout needs to stop. Because you need to start forcing people to get to that equilibrium. If you keep telling people, we're going to print more, we're going to give you more. There's a, there's politicians that were saying, you know, this that last bill that was signed, the last stimulus, that was like home uh, families that had two or three children under the age of six that made under $150,000 a year are pretty much getting about 13 grand a year because of the stimulus. You know, oh that's the God. child credit, all these things. About 13 grand a year they're getting. You got to stop that. And then yeah. politicians are like this needs to be permanent, not temporary. This needs to be permanent. Families of making under 150 grand need to get 13 grand a year. It was a little bit north of 13 grand a year permanently moving forward. It's like you know what I mean? As long as all those things keep going, people are going to be like, well, you know, I, I don't really well, have to go look like, for a job. I, I got the money it, to take it, care of. All it's going to do is it just reinforces bad behavior and the economy will adjust to that. And down the road, we're going to be right back in the same exact problems we're having now. Yeah. As a, it's oh. a short term fix. And that's also like politicians because they got to get votes. Focus on short-term solutions, not stuff that's going to last long periods of time that are actually going to be good for things. It's like, no, 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 what's going to get me votes? Like, well, these people want money. That's I'm going to buy my – I can get these votes by just giving them money. All right, let's just give them money. Let's give them stuff. Let's give them free things. Yeah. And it's like um, – Well, I, I, goes, I, I did have another article here relating to the housing market and lumber and stuff is that as lumber prices triple, here's what to watch out for. So at Guadalupe Lumber – President Cal, whatever, says wholesale prices are through the roof. This is absolutely unprecedented. Lumber's been going up, up, and up. Up, up, and up. Up, up, up. All right, up, a up, lot of ups. Up, up, up. Uh, <laughs> he says, I love when they quote him like every single word. It's like, yeah, it's been going up. He says Mills made a bad bet that through the pandemic, the housing market would slow down. They got behind the eight ball last year on production. Mills are now playing catch-up as a year of staying home sparks a frenzy of home improvement projects. Plywood, plywood that was at $7, $8 a sheet a year ago is now $30, $40 plus. We've never seen it that high. Industry experts say over the past year, these soaring lumber prices have driven up the cost of new homes by more than $35,000. We're about one to two billion board feet short of the needs that are necessary to produce homes in the United States. So 
I mean, just listen to that number. One to two billion board feet shorts to produce a home. That's a lot, right? They're even saying, so when the average house takes 15,000 to 20,000 board feet, we are almost two billion board feet short. So, I mean, mm. you can think about how much housing that is that we are, that could be supplying the market and helping home prices. You can find... Uh, you can kind of do the reverse math and know that's a whole bunch of houses. <laughs> when we sell a home, we're locking in the lumber price to the consumer. Uh, this was a, a builder was saying this, but the builders won't get the lumber until a few months later. And in that time, prices could spike. Depends on the builder. Some builders will honor that, will honor what they do, but they are clauses in the contracts that say if prices spike beyond a certain level, the buyer agrees to pay that difference. You'd hate to be in the middle of the process of and get surprised. He says the lumber costs are leading to hard choices, not just for buyers, but for builders too. The cold reality of a hot housing market. He says, I know of builders recently who canceled 30 contracts. These are sold homes. Yeah, so, I, I see like on broker undergrounds, like uh, people representing buyers for new home constructions and they're getting these contracts saying like, hey, uh, we're canceling this contract. Yeah. And they're all pissed off and until like, all these greedy builders just want to sell the house from us like, no, they're just trying to stay in business. It's like, that's what happens when you have this much money flowing around and prices skyrocketing like this. It's like you're contracting like just raw land for sale. It's six months before the house is built. And it's like, it is going to take a long time to build that to where it's like, yeah, they can't eat the cost when prices go that high in a year. Like they can't eat $50,000 or $30,000 extra dollars. And like, they don't make that kind of margin on these homes. No. And the, and it's not just materials that are going up. Labor is going up with it because there's such a boom in it. They're paying people more and more and more money trying to incentivize them to come to work. And yeah, I mean, in all these things, they're, they're just, it, they keep saying, you know, a lot of people talk about the prices. Prices have never been this high, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just like, it doesn't matter that they've never been this high. What matters is the increase in such a short period of time. That's what's hurting it. It's not that the high levels necessarily are hurting it. It's hurting that it went from 7 dollars to 40 dollars in less than a year to 20 to 25 and it's like in that short period of time because then you like, think about it and you're like houses need to go from four hundred thousand to now I, I don't know what is it like 450 2 million, yeah, two million. Uh, <laughs> for it to be justify the same growth that lumber has gotten you know what i mean like it's insane it's an insane amount that it hasn't it can, obviously it can't go wages would need to go up just as high so it's that large increase in such a short period of time that is hurting everybody because even though home prices are going up it's still not enough it's still yeah. not enough to absorb that kind of growth you know what well, I mean? and it's so, also it's trying to find its equilibrium it's like we have no inventory so prices are increasing trying to find that equilibrium of inventory like where is the new price where inventory starts to rise where people will no longer want to buy or can't afford to buy that housing prices but right now Prices are going up and people are still able to afford them. Well, and then it also gets to that point is that prices keep going up and up and up and up and up, 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 however many ups he had. Um, a lot of people don't want to sell because it's like, are you kidding me? Why the hell would I sell right now? 
I would just my house just appreciated like fifteen grand in the last six months. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep waiting until it keeps going up. Well, not even that. It's just like, but it's also like, yeah, I make more money, but I sell my house. But where do I go? I hear all these horror stories of people trying to buy houses and getting bid out in these bidding wars, and there's nowhere to go. It's like, I don't want to go through that stress. Yeah, so what you, am I gonna do? I'm just gonna build a 400 square foot mother lawn suite on my house. I'm going to do renovation, home improvement projects. I'm going to improve where I'm at. And then, because so now it's like, so inventory so low, people don't want to give it more inventory. Cause they're just like, nah, not going to do it. So now when you have this, yeah. all these people want to buy, cause now all of a sudden everyone has cash. Like, and this is why I said right now is where contractors can make a killing because home renovation projects are going to be through the roof additions making more uh, more comfortable living spaces and everything because it's it's just that it's just you look at it now all of a sudden your your home value went through the roof if you have a decent credit and everything they're lowering the refi uh option so you more people can refinance so if your house went way up and now you can refinance guess what now you can pull out the money to renovate your own house and then some you know, uh, but I mean, I, I, at that point, affordability is going to be an issue, right? You still need to be able to afford the home. Yeah. But how do you see this playing out? Like, do you think this needs to, this will hit a, a point of like, all right, lumber prices keep going up, keep going up. And at some point it just like kind of hits that. All right, that's enough. You know, it starts kind of like dropping again and some form of equilibrium. Like, how, how do you see? I mean, I don't know. It, it's really, it's. You have two sides. You have a supply side and a demand side. Right now, there's not enough supply and high demand. So either supply needs to rise to meet the demand or demand needs to drop to uh, equal out the supply of material. So I think it's going to be a combination of both eventually to where I, I don't know. Like, like people just stop moving? <laughs> well, I don't think it's people stop moving or anything like that. It, it's just it's a hard thing to guess at it's because like that's, what needs that's to one happen thing that, like, where's it need to go it's like one like i think people need to not necessarily quit moving it's just like there needs to be a rise in inventory it's like because with low inventory you can pump more supply more supply more supply more supply but if the inventory doesn't rise to get to an equilibrium it's going to continue to go up and yeah. you're going to continue to have this this suck from the top so i think it's prices need to continue to increase until demand stops because of price well i mean let, let's talk about the demand right we've before all this right we would list a house and we would get a few showings a day more or less depending on the area it was encouraging yeah but now we list a house and not only do we get an offer like that moment but how many showings are scheduled like instantly? I mean, in 24 hours of a house less than 24 hours um we have 20 showings scheduled and already have an offer went live last night like four or five o'clock and already over have 15 yeah well over ask damn near 10 percent over ask yep to where it that's that's uh, what I'm getting at is that that's demand yeah that's demand and you just listed and you have over 20 showings these are people that are desperate to be on the market and the first offer was an FHA buyer because why <laughs> it's very hard for them to compete yeah because we're getting conventional buyers that are putting in offers well over ask and they're waiving the appraisal yeah where an FHA buyer can't do that well that's exactly so, where it is like where does it stop it's like I think it comes from both sides like prices are going to continue to increase until you hit that equilibrium yeah. when people run out of cash to be able to afford to buy homes. And that's, what's going to start increasing and slow putting the brakes on or taking foot off the gas 
for that. You can have interest rates interest rates rise a little bit to make mortgages start to rise to where it makes it less affordable to buy a home. That can slow price appreciation. And then you can have more supply come from the backside so people can build houses faster to fuel this demand. But it's one of the things like as the demand is still there, Prices are going to continue, continue to rise until something slows it down. That's either price, and it usually comes down to just sheer price. And it's then all I also it think that that's where the opportunity comes for investors. Like we talk about buy and hold opportunities of if they raise interest rates, mortgages become more expensive, all that. People still need to go somewhere. They're going to have to rent because they can't afford to buy a house now. They're going to have to rent. You know what I mean? So that's when we get that equilibrium of the rents that haven't been keeping up all of a sudden start increasing a little bit more because it's like people have nowhere else to go. And you and we still, like well, in I San mean, Antonio, we still have a huge influx of, of people moving here every day. You, you like, see that. I mean, our rents across the board have just skyrocketed. Yeah. I mean, for stuff that it's like, you're paying how much to rent? What? Like, yeah. well, my God. And that, I mean, and that's to say it's the amount of people and the regulatory burden of how long it takes to build a house. Like if a contractor could get there and say like, Hey, build me a house right there on that lot. And it didn't have the government involved in slowing things down. They could probably throw a house up and I'd say maybe three months. Right. If materials are ready to go, they didn't have to have inspections. They didn't have to deal with all that crap of like the delays and stuff. They could probably throw it up in two and a half, three months, but it takes now six to nine because of that to where they and want it, their pound of flesh from it, their, their cost, they got to And we're not even uh, advocating that you don't have regulation as far as determining that the right things are being built, right? Because we don't, you also don't want contractors cutting corners and, you know, not putting enough two by fours on a wall to save yeah. on lumber prices and all these things. You don't want them cutting corners. So there is regulation that is needed. That frustration is that the regulation that's costing money and time is not that regulation yeah no that it's not the regulation of whether the house is being built safely that's not the regulation that's causing the problems it's the bs regulation that doesn't require anybody to go to any property to verify anything it's just the shits and giggles of everything well just like our, our scenario it's like how is there not something the property code says if i'm building the exact same house on top of a slab regardless of the zoning regardless of anything yeah. other other crap it's like yeah you can build on that but why does that process to do that require to go to a board to get it approved by these people and take just ungodly amounts of time to do it? Well, it's just like that article I just read about, you know, nearly 40% of the cost of the regulation cost comes pre-construction. So the majority of the cost is coming in before you even put up a, a, a anything on the property. Yeah. So it's like, why? Why all that regulation before you even start building the regulation should be, are you building a safe home? Not, how are we getting our pound of flesh? So, anything else you have on real estate right now? Uh, I mean, one of them I have is like the San Antonio, I had this from a couple of weeks ago, is like the San Antonio housing market heats up with double-digit growth in prices and sales. Um, this is from March data and the April data is starting to come out now. And it said, once again, home prices and prices, home sales and prices are up in San Antonio because you had that comment a while back, like so nobody's buying houses, and I was like, no, 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 sales are up. And like it's like they're it's trying to fuel demand, like they're putting houses onto the market, but they're just gone instantly because the the sales volume is still in, ever increasing. So once again, home prices 
and sales are up in San Antonio. The San Antonio Board of Realtors March 2021 report shows double-digit year-over-year growth and points to high demand in the local market. March 2021, home sales jumped 16% over the previous year to 3,029 homes sold, Sabor says. At the same time, the median home price grew 12% year over year to 268,500, while the average price climbed to an even higher 15% to 316,971. At the county level, only Harris County, home of Houston, saw a bigger increase in sales than Bear County. Houston was up 19.8% compared to Bear County's 13.9% jump. And I just did uh, just did some quick data on the stuff that we pull, and median sales price increased again for the month of May. And where's it at now? Uh, for where I get my information is at 270. Uh, for the median sales price, that's yeah. ten months in a row of double digit appreciation, and it's not like eleven, eleven and a half, twelve. No, we've been hitting thirteens, sixteens, eighteens, nineteens, seventeens. Like it's middle range of where the monthly average is, because I do a twelve month average tracking of what it's done the twelve month average, or twelve month oh. average is double digits, but there's still two months of two percent and three percent average appreciation to where when those two fall off our 12-year average is going to be in the mid-teens for year-over-year appreciation, wow. which is just insane. We're like, what's it? when's it stop? I don't know because people are selling their homes because prices are up or our sales sales volume is up, mm-hmm. but it's at what point does it run out of inventory? When does more inventory outstrip demand or more sales outstrip demand that bring that into an equilibrium? Yeah. I don't know. Well, to add to all the chaos and the mayhem that's going on, uh, we had a pipeline uh, that got hacked this week. So the Colonial Pipeline was hacked by a Russian hacker group called, uh, damn it, what was it? Dark Side. And they hacked the oil pipeline. So as soon as they did, the gas pipeline, as soon as they did, uh, they shut down their distribution, they shut down everything just as a safeguard. They supply gas to the whole East Coast and a little bit of like the South all the way to Texas is comes their deliveries. This spurred a massive, massive, massive panic. And this happened Monday. And by Wednesday, you had, look, by Tuesday, 9 p.m., by Tuesday, 9 p.m., 12% of the gas stations in North Carolina were out of gas, 8% in Virginia, and uh, North Carolina had 8%. Wow. By 9 p.m., right? Then, where'd it go? The shortage almost acute in North Carolina by Wednesday, they were at 65%. So just a day later, Georgia 43% and Virginia 44% of the gas stations in the state were out of gas. So what happened, the, the worst thing that happened with this whole crisis was that they shut down for a few days, but people freaked the hell out. Well, they happened panicked here. so drastically, right? And Texas wasn't going to be affected at all, pretty much. And we were seeing gases, you know, they were saying Texas didn't have any gas outage. I've gone to gas station where... where there was like two pumps open. All the other ones had the the you know the bags over the pumps that, that they didn't have uh, that weren't pumping any gas, and that was here in Texas. And people were freaking the hell out, overfilling tanks, everything like gas was going out of stock just because 
They didn't say that they had a gas shortage. They just shut down because of the hack. So all they needed to do was repair whatever the hack problem caused, but the gas is there. Yeah. But it scared, and this is what we talk about a lot, it's that you cannot predict how people are going to react. And to me, it's like, you can. They're always going to freak the hell out. People are always going to panic. All it takes is one person to panic. The neighbor sees them. They panic. The other neighbor sees them. All of a sudden, everybody's out to the well, gas Well, that's what you had. Like, you see all those pictures of people, like, pumping gas into giant Tupperware totes, putting yeah. it in plastic bags, and trying to, like, hoard it in gallon jugs. And it's like, you can't put gas in those things. Like, it, it eats it. It'll... Whatever, and like, what are you gonna do? You're putting it in a plastic tote. How are you gonna get that into your car? Oh, it was insane. Seriously, yeah. We want. Yeah. A lot of these people putting gas in the car don't realize that your gas flap has a safety device that you have to be able to have push in to get the gas to go down. You can't just dump it in with a solo cup; it'll dump all over the ground and it evaporates. Like if you sit here, like yeah, li liquid gas does not light on fire. It's the vapors that come off of gas. So it's like your liquid gas it evaporates. And as it just evaporates, it's just going to get lower and lower and lower and lower. And to where, I mean, we had the gas shortages here after Hurricane Harvey because we our supply chain was all messed up. And it just, but it just shows how fragile systems can be. But I just think it's funny where it's like, oh, the, or when the current administration shut down the Keystone pipelines and saying, oh, we don't want to rely on pipelines and stuff like that anymore. But you realize how vital these things are to entire economies because like gas, fossil fuels runs the economy. Oh, yeah. And it's like even then, like, OK, oh, electric vehicles, where does electricity come from? From power generation, from coal. How do those move diesel fuel by train? And it's like well, how and it then works. We, we go back to the domino effect that we were talking about before is that. They already have a shortage on truck drivers, right? There's already a shortage on truck drivers. So this problem was resolved by 5 p.m. Wednesday. They were opening back up. And they wanted to get... So they actually distribute uh, infrastructure transports around 2.5 million barrels per day. That's how much they distribute. Diesel fuel, heating oil, and jet fuel. The pipeline stretches 5,500 miles and carries nearly half of the East Coast fuel supply. So 2.5 million barrels a day. They were shut down for pretty much three days. And they got to catch up now, but they can't find the truck drivers. Yeah. So that delay hurts everybody. Now, you, it could have been fine if people didn't freak out, but yet people freaked out. And look what happened. You know, it, the, this was by Wednesday, by yesterday morning, by Thursday morning, 71% of the gas stations in North Carolina had no gas, 71% of them, 68% um, had no gas. Let's see, da, 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 da. Oh. budget still dipping by 68%. I can't remember which state, I guess I didn't put it in there. But you have uh, Virginia at 54%, South Carolina, 52% of the gas stations. They didn't have any gas by Thursday morning by 10 a.m. So, I mean, it's just beyond insane. And the, the gas company actually ended up paying the $5 million ransom that uh, these guys wanted in cryptocurrency. So they wanted my $5 kinda, My kind of thing is like, you only wanted $5 million? I feel like if you just shut down an entire, yes. like, you shut down yes. a pipeline that just took an entire region of the United States economy almost essentially offline overnight within three days, like... More than well, half the state was out, states were out of gas. It's one of those things, too, where it's like it's reasonable enough 
that we will get that money versus asking too much and there's a higher risk that we won't. You know what I, I mean? Guess. Because if, if they were to ask for, let's say, really do a good ransom on something like that and say we want, I don't know, $50 million. Now maybe they risk not even getting that. Yeah, right? it's a cost-benefit analysis where it's like, yes, the part of the country shut down, but we can get this fixed for $10 million in a week. Plus they, so they've it's been hacking. Like, like, this isn't the only place they hacked. They've been hacking everybody. So, I mean, they're raking in millions from all different directions. Yeah. You know, so you ask just enough. And kind of like when we were uh, uh, sued, remember when um, back that they had those, what do they patent, call them? Patent trolls. Yeah, those patent trolls that they try to sue us. And they asked for, what was it, $7,000. It wasn't a fortune, but it's enough where a lot of people, a lot of small businesses are like, you know what, let me just pay the seven grand to avoid any further problems. Yeah. Right. Or they 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 targeted small businesses that didn't have the resources to fight fight. Exactly. And like, and luckily we were well versed enough to go out and uh, find somebody for 350 bucks, took care of it because it was like complete BS. The how the high, how and why, and what for they were trying to sue us for. And he's like, but if you went through and look at, they were successfully winning settlements and negotiating down, saying we will sue you, we will sue you if you don't settle. And people eventually said, look, I'll I only have three thousand dollars, and like, yep. all right, we'll settle at that and release it uh, for. Well, it. and these. Uh- these assholes, they were working with a, a law firm out of California. So, I mean, the law firm was, you know, abusing the hell out of everybody. But, you know, that, that's just what they do. It's, it's better to just get something that's realistic versus try to ask for an ungodly amount of money that's like, all right, now we stand to get nothing. Yep. And they understand why people, and they wonder why people don't like attorneys. <laughs> So, do you have another article next? What do you? I mean, we kind of jumped around, but something. Well, I can touch on that later. uh, We have the Bitcoin's been going stupid recently, like always. Uh, Cryptocurrency. I like your uh, my employer paid me crypto. It rose seven percent value. So uh, I read the this one. I had it for last week, and I just never got to it. But my employer paid me in crypto. It rose seven hundred percent in value. Now he wants employees to return the crypto and accept dollars. So I, this is the, the guy, he said, I did some business development work for a tech company on a contract basis. The CEO stated that I would be paid in crypto when I started the work in the spring of 2020. He added a clause to the contract stating the company may elect to pay in US dollars. The guy, smart, he says, I struck out that part of the contract because if I was going to risk getting paid in crypto, and the price all of a sudden appreciated, I didn't want the company to revert to paying me in dollars. Uh, In August of 2020, I received payment for the contract work in cryptocurrency. Since then, the price of cryptocurrencies uh, has skyrocketed. As of this moment, the cryptocurrency that I received payment in has gone up 700%. Today, I received an email from the CEO stating that something along the lines of since you did not generate any revenue for the company and are not currently doing any follow-up work, please send back all of the crypto received in August of 2020. You can invoice the company for the hours worked in U.S. dollars. So they're not buying the crypto back that went up 700%. They're wanting them to return the crypto and give them the U.S. dollar equivalent of what they paid them in August. So 
This guy, all of a sudden, his crypto is worth 700% more. And he's saying, okay, yeah, let me wipe out all that gain that I just got yeah. and get paid in dollars because, you know, you're an idiot. So basically stating that I can invoice in U.S. dollars at seven times less of the crypto today. Please note that there have been several other people trying to sell the company solutions, sell the company's solutions. It is a startup, and so far, they are still trying to generate their first dollar in sales. The purpose of the contract was to generate sales, and it included a commission component. But the understanding was that I would, I would bill hourly for cold calling and emailing people, generating proposals, setting up meetings, participating and leading pitches, etc., with the goal of generating revenue. I am not really sure what to do. I have worked with this person for many years and he has the tendency to try to change the terms of payment after agreeing on a certain way of operating. Uh, so this was, a you know, the person complaining about it, but I just, I saw that and I was just laughing. I was like, oh my God, they paid him in crypto you paid them. That's it. Like yeah, well, for you, almost, to, you paid them at that time the equivalent of the U.S. dollar. That's it. Like I, you, I owe you a hundred dollars. I'm gonna pay you a hundred dollars in crypto. And then the crypto went through the roof, and it's like, whoa, I want that crypto back now. It's like, no, no, no. You paid them a fair wage, and it's like whether it went up or not, it's, it's your fault. You put that in the freaking contract. It's insane. It, it's something, that, and even even like he struck that out of the contract, right? Which is okay, but he's still at the time of payment. He got what he got. Well, because also he took the risk too. Like crypto could have gone down. Well, it would still be the same equivalent. Yeah, but because... now if he wouldn't have converted it, like he said, like he was paid a hundred dollars, and all of a sudden now say crypto didn't do what it did, and it went backwards seven hundred percent. So now he's like, hey, uh, I'm gonna give you this crypto back, and I want you to pay me in U.S. dollars now. Yeah, pay me it's the like, difference. It that goes, I lost. it goes the other way. Yeah. So it's like, no, 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 you converted on a dollar for dollar basis back in August for the work performed, and you gave it to him, and he was put in the contract. So now to ask that he want the one it back and saying you didn't generate revenue, it's like he, the dude that what it just says like they're still trying to sell the company solutions, the problem that it solves. Yeah. Like, so the guy's just trying to generate revenue somehow. He's like, well, hey, um, give me that crypto back so I can make all that money and I'm going to pay you in dollars based on it so I have more revenue. It's like, yeah, you're just a slimy person is what you are. Like, oh, shady, shady, and very screwed up practices. But it's, uh, it's interesting what people try to get away with, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, lately... What we were talking about earlier is your your boy Elon Musk. You know that he did. You have an article or no? No, that? it was okay. just it was my own like kind of talking point or something like that. Just a thought that I had about it, and then you kind of see some articles about it. But I mean, none that I mean sums it up and just saying like, and we all talked about it. I mean, Dre even mentioned this morning. He's like, how is this not illegal? To where Tesla comes out and Musk is Tesla comes out and says we're buying 1.5 billion dollar in bitcoin and does it boom price goes up we well, are going Tesla to will be accepting bitcoin. And, it's like, and then they come out and say we're going to buy a start accepting bitcoin for tesla and this isn't like years ago this is like what like two three months ago yeah. it wasn't that long ago that they said that so then all of a sudden boom crypto goes up even more saying now it has more of a functional use people are accepting it as payment look at tesla look what they're doing look at elon musk big tech entrepreneur sweet Comes out and says like, oh yeah, Dogecoin, Doggy Coin, Dog Coin, whatever you want to call it. Douche Coin. He comes out and he says like, oh, this stuff's going to the moon. I love it so much. And like, it was created as a joke. To where my question is like, does he own this himself, and is now 
pumping it and dumping it because now they just came out like yesterday and said that Tesla will no longer be accepting Bitcoin because of the environmental concerns of the amount of energy it takes to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, and what happens? This is all of a sudden new information. Yeah, there's new information. It's like, no, 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 no. We've known this since like 2017, 2016, that it took yeah. a lot of consumption of power, which is generated by fossil fuels, to mine Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden, cryptocurrencies across the board just tank. So on his one tweet, he tanks it. He yeah. buys it. He says Tesla can accept it. It goes through the roof. My question is, did they sell that Bitcoin? And then he says, we're not going to take it and plummet to the floor. Because now, like, uh, uh, Dogecoin fell through the floor. And today he came out and said, oh, I'm working with developers to help improve the efficiency of uh, uh, Dogecoin. And all of a sudden, the price went up 40% at, like, 3 a.m. today. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you are straight manipulating this market. You tweet is a direct correlation and the things you say to what these currencies or assets are doing. How is this not some form of violation? Yeah. From some way. And I think it's a Musk. It's like he's worth, he's a second, first or second richest person behind Bezos. They, they go back and forth. Mm -hmm. So it's like, is he just an untouchable? He's like, you know, I just like having funny because I can very easily, I, I buy it, buy a bunch, price goes up. I make a tweet, goes up even more and I sell it off. It goes down. I buy it again. Like, does he play the market that way? Because obviously he has the power to do it because when his single tweet makes markets go up or down, especially in the cryptocurrency space. Yeah. Or like, what is that going to do? I know he got slapped pretty hard from the SEC for uh, the taking company, pri uh, taking Tesla private. Uh, oh, but it's just all a tweet of taking Tesla. Private. Yeah. And that's just one of the things I, I look at. It's like, but does he really care? Because it's one of the things I, an article or well, and then it's like, podcast. what's really the punishment to somebody? Well, yeah, like yesterday that? I, was, I, was, I was listening to a podcast and they they run analysis to where like the opioid crisis, the pharmaceutical companies, they ran analysis saying like, hey, if we push this drug off that it's not addictive and it's not habit forming and it's safe for consumers, we're going to make seventy five billion dollars. But we're probably going to get sued by the government and have to pay a ten billion dollar fine for that. They still made sixty five billion dollars in profit. So they go ahead and do it. Anyways, I know it's bad, but it's like, we need to make profit. We need to drive shareholder value. Right. I was like, does Musk do the same thing? And does he really care? It's like, um, yes, he's going to call me in. They're going to do this. I have the attorney battle. I'm going to pay for it. But I drove the price so high and I sold, made huge amounts of money. On Tesla, I think they made 25% of their first quarter profits came from Bitcoin. <laughs> so it's like, so did you, so does that mean you sold it and actually realized that profit? Yeah. And now you're saying they're not going to accept it anymore and now cratered the value? It's like... No, it's... Uh, I think, to me, it's... I don't see how it's not a, a violation. You know, you are purposely buying something, pumping it, you know, with hype and everything, and pretty much making money off of it. So you come off and you say, oh, well, those are just my opinions. And I agree. You know, I mean, to some point, it's like, well, what point is it like your own responsibility to not be a freaking moron and buy douche coin that is a fake currency and they did it to make fun and you see all these idiots buying it. It's like, my God, like, you know, if you get wiped out, <laughs> good. You know, you're obviously an idiot, yeah. you know? So if Elon Musk tweets something and you're going just based on that tweet, you know nothing about the currency. You don't believe in Bitcoin. You don't believe in any of that. You don't feel like in the fundamentals of the investment. Then what are you doing? 
Yeah. It's the same reason why we talk about when a lot of people try to get into real estate because real estate is hot, right? And, oh, I want to flip houses because that's what everybody's doing. That's how you're going to lose money, though. Yeah. Because if you don't know how to flip houses, you don't know, you know how to buy correctly, how to sell correctly. Where to buy, how to buy. Everything. Well, you you're going like, to lose your ass on it. It's like there's people all along that chain will be glad to take your money and leave you stuck holding the bag at the very end when you go to try yeah. to sell a house that's like, oh, I'm in it for 250 but it only is worth 180 So while I believe that it should be somewhat illegal what he's doing, at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I just, it's still... Your decision that you're choosing to, like, he's not selling it to you, you know? So he's not doing, like, you know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street style. Like, he's just doing it where he's just saying what he believes. And if you go out and buy, it's like, well, that's on you. You know what I mean? Like, he's not telling you, hey, buy my crypto. He doesn't have, you know, what was it? The super tech god or what was the new title he gave himself? Oh, uh, Techno King. Techno King coin. And then the, F, the CFO was Master of Coin. Master of Coin. <laughs> so that, that was the official names with the SEC. It's like, oh my God. So, I mean, it, it, it's crazy and people are, keep jumping in and keep chasing the fluff and everything. And it's like, guys... You know, like you're losing your ass because you're too lazy to do it the right way and you're not paying attention to what is, does it even make sense? You know, and and I think that's where a lot of people are going to be getting in trouble. And we probably will see some regulation at some point where it's like you can no longer talk about anything financial in case some idiot is listening and starts trading on your word. Like, oh, yay, there we go. More silencing. Um, But in other news... Rapper 50 Cent, Curtis Jackson, left New York City. So, raised in New York, all about New York. He ended up moving New York City to Houston, Texas, because the taxes were just insane. He said, you know, I've tried to stay here, I'm fed up, and I'm moving to Texas. So, you are having... What up, Fitty? <laughs> you, wow. Come on um, down here. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all these things going on and you have uh Andrew Yang that's running for mayor. Mayor mayor or governor? They going mayor for of New York City. Mayor. Yeah. I just um, listened to our, our, our podcast him yesterday. Okay. Yeah, he's running so for he's running for mayor and he's all about the universal basic income and you know, higher taxes and everything. I mean, you're killing New York. You know, New York is all about businesses, entrepreneurship. That's what New York was built on. You know, it's the business capital damn near. Well, I mean, tourists, uh, the <clears throat> tourists, you have this, uh, and they're talking about like how tourists was down. Um, subway ridership was like 70% down. Like all of yeah. these revenue generators that cost a lot of money to run weren't there. Well, I had an article before too of uh, New York City loses $1.2 billion after tourists uh, spending drops by 73%. So, I mean, $1.2 billion in tax revenue. Add that to all the billionaires that have already left, all the real estate prices that have been tanking in the city and everywhere because of, you know, just people weren't getting their rents paid and stuff like that. Rental apartment buildings were dropping in price. So they're losing so much revenue, so much possibility. And they're, they force businesses to, you know, close and all these insane restrictions that they put on a lot of businesses restaurants everything so i mean yeah you 
killed tourism, you killed businesses, you killed everything, and then you're raising taxes. Like, I don't know. Yeah, what do you New think York, is going to happen? New York is in a very, very difficult position. And it's not like I want to see New York fail by any means because it is a huge generator of revenue for the entire United States. So let's, get, let's keep it on perspective that the United States is still our country. New York is still part of the of United States. So we don't want to see something that large fail. But it's also it's one of the, like you run policies a certain way and it's like it just shows like, hey, these policies don't work. Because like he was talking about, it's like we can't cut services and make people more insecure about the place we live. And then the revenue drops further. And we have to cut more services as like, it's a very, it's a dance. You really have to play and walk a fine line to keep things uh, moving forward. And so you don't end up like what New York wasn't like in the seventies when it damn near went bankrupt. Yeah. But one thing I think that is going to help is New York is the as a finance capital of the United States. Uh, Jamie Dimon, CEO of Chase, Chase Bank, JP Morgan and Chase, he came out and said he's fed up with Zoom. Fed up with Zoom calls says pre-pandemic office life is returning. Jamie Dimon is no fan of the new remote work structure that has taken hold during the coronavirus pandemic. The JP Morgan Chase chairman and CEO has already told his U.S. employees they should begin getting used to returning this month with the goal of having 50% of workers rotating through offices by July. He's fine with the greater flexibility allowed by employees working from home part-time. He said Tuesday, "There's no sub, but there is no substitute for being at the office. He quotes, we want people back to work in my view in this, in that sometime in my view on that is sometime in September, October. It will look just like it did before diamond said in a wall street journal, and everyone is going to be happy with it. And yes, the commute, you know, people don't like commuting, but so what CEO, Mm -hmm. the CEO includes (laughs) diamond, including diamond and Goldman Sachs, David Solomon have expressed dissatisfaction with the new model. That's in contrast with the technology companies like Facebook and Twitter that have announced a permanent shift to remote work for those that want it. He also said clients have told him that in cases where JP Morgan lost business to rivals, it was because bankers from other guys visited and ours did not. He's like, well, that's a solid lesson learned there. It accelerated a trend, but it does not work for younger people. It does not work for those who want to hustle. It does not work in terms of spontaneous idea generation. As an illustration, Diamond said he will... He was brimming with ideas after a trip to California last year that wouldn't he wouldn't have gotten via a Zoom meeting. Could uh, and then basically said, I, at this point, I have canceled all Zoom meetings in my calendar. So yeah. for New York, that is a great thing because like in New York is a financial capital. You got Goldman Sachs, you have JP Moore, you have Wells Fargo, you have all that stuff there. Where it's like you need people meeting, you need people running it. Like and that was like the magic of New York City. It was a twenty-four hour city. You had people constantly interacting, meeting at coffee shops, meeting at the offices, bars, restaurants, and ideas flowing that cannot happen over a flat computer screen. Yeah. So I mean, and it's good to see because I one hundred percent agree with that. It's just like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it worked. F- for some people that want to be at home, want to be left alone and find being behind a computer all day. But I think the majority of people, like you look at our just genetic code, we are a packed style of uh, human beings or animals at the end of the day. So we're, you need to have interaction. You need to be around people. And it's not normal to be isolated like that. And it might work for tech. But I think there's a lot of industries no, that even, it won't. Even then, like, I mean, just look at it in uh in the in the business sector of it, right? But even in the tech space, like you still need human contact, right? Because the things that happen person to person, face to face, 
are very different than what's going to happen over a Zoom call, a scheduled plan Zoom call, right? You don't yeah. have that that kind of um Oh, and the distractions too. Like I know, I'm sure it's for you too. Like if you're on a Zoom call and you have your computer, which is basically your entire workflow right there in front of you, and nobody can see that you're doing things in the background, yeah. but they can see your face, you're gonna do it. I mean, we're all like uh, taking some CE class for education. Like I have a spreadsheet that I'm working on while participating in the class. It's like it, in your mind don't, can't don't, don't say that. split that, that he's way. He's lying. He's listening to everything he earns as CE credits. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's something that there's a lot of stuff that there's a lot of business that we've been dealing with and talking to people and trying to conduct. And it's been because of face to face meetings that yeah. we met for whatever other reason. Then all of a sudden you're talking the way it goes, the way it flows. So now you're talking about this and then it's like, well, you know, I am doing this thing. What about it's like, oh, OK. If you were trying to plan to meet with somebody through Zoom, it just wouldn't happen. Right. Yeah. Because how many times are you structured? You, you create a deal or partnership or something with somebody that you had no plan on meeting with. Yeah. Because it was just maybe at an event or somewhere that you met with this person and it just happened. And I think that the, the and like I was thinking, like, how could it ever switch to real estate to not be face to face? To walk a house. I mean, there would have to be a huge consumer shift that you'd have to be OK. Walking a house. Not even you walking. You're just walking, watching a video of somebody else walking a house, not touching, not feeling, not feeling the space, and you're just kind of okay. You have to be okay with buying something sight unseen like that. I think it's more of the incorporation of VR and everything like that that you can yeah, feel like you're in the space. But like, it's it's like everything. You can see pictures, it. you can see whatever, but then you can't really judge the like the depth of a room. Does it? You know, then when you actually go to the house, you're like. It actually it smells not, feels smaller. Yeah, it's not as big as I thought it was yeah, going to be. You know, I don't like the noise of the neighbor or the whatever it is in the backyard or the smell or whatever. And the, the drive. Yeah. Like, I have to get around. I have to drive to commute. I have to go to the grocery store. I have to find what amenities around. Like, you can't do that. Like, Google, I don't know. Google Earth? Google Maps? Yeah, you're just like clicking Street through. View. You're like, oh, that's 15 minutes. It's like, yeah, but what's the drive? What, how, like, how, what does it swing? I'm, I mean, I think times? it's going, it's still, we're going to see it because we already see a lot of people that, I mean, even just the rental that we got, didn't we get it rented from somebody that hasn't seen it? Yeah. Right? So I think you will see a, per, a larger percentage than in the past, but you're still going to see overall, most people are going to want to go see the house. Yeah. They're going to want to go walk the house. They're going to want to go open and close the drawers and open and close the doors and does everything feel right and everything feels good and all of this. And you will have others, especially when you have such a hot market where people getting outbid and you're moving to another city where it's like, yeah, we're going to have to buy it, buy it sight on scene and trust the best with technology and with everything that we, you know, that we're getting a decent home. So, I mean, I think what we need to hurry up with is this uh, doing closings online. I think this yeah, whole that... thing of having notaries, I, I'm like, come on. Why can't we have a, a, a Zoom notary, right? They're, they're, they're the notary. They're seeing me here. I'm showing the ID or I scanned my ID somewhere. There's got to be some way of doing this that we can do this online that we don't have to always be doing this in person, wet signatures. I'm like, come on, guys. Uh, yeah, and I mean, they got to figure something out with that. And I mean, I know there are some services out there that are already like yeah but if it's like for like a cash transaction or something to where it's just like uh trying to schedule showings and meetings in person it's like for stuff like that for just a signature it's like all right we got to figure something out 
for that. But I understand why it is. I mean, it is how the ability for fraud to happen yeah. with something like that drastically goes up. And when you're talking about loans of hundreds of thousands of dollars and things like that for banks, like it is a fragile system to where it's like, yeah, we're not buying a car here. Like it, it's no, like, I get it. But what I'm saying is with technology, with everything as it is, there's got to be a way that that can be. I'm sure, but it I just mean, comes down to a cost aspect. If somebody said, hey, we have a $700 closing fee, I'm like, what? For what? Oh, it's the, that's the cost of this new technology to be able to implement it and make it work. I don't know. And technology like, usually uh, doesn't no. make things more expensive. Over time, it, does, it brings costs down. Yeah. But up front, usually it's pretty damn expensive until enough people go on to bring the cost down to really um, – because technology usually – it's something that works economy of scale. brings costs down yeah, on I a know. big scale. But when it first rolls out, it's usually kind of expensive. For okay. facial recognition, f- fingerprint ID, and stuff, all the technology comes along with that. It's expensive at first. And I then don't know. It comes I down mean, we've done, uh, we've notarized closings and everything at UPS store. There is not any level of security on that. I mean, it's just somebody that's saying yes and signing. But I mean, there, there isn't a level of security that you're saying. Um, but there's a lot more security than doing something digitally, though, because like you have to sign that notary book. They have to have a valid ID that references valid that it's them. And I mean, yeah, obviously you could pay somebody and do something like that. But it's also the end of the day. It's like that notary book is there and you have to turn those notary books into somebody to where if you come back to it, you have to go. That book and is that can be done saved. online, too. It's a, it's a freaking log. Like it could be kept online. And I'm saying it can't be done, but it's like a blockchain technology, something, yeah. some aspect of it. But I think there is a lot of openness to a lot more fraud trying to do it digitally as it stands right now or costs come up to what yeah. it's saying. Like if they try to charge me $700 for it, I'm like, I'll go to the UPS store. Thank you very much. Because it uh, costs 100%. me 30 bucks. Yeah. Whereas like you are competing against that aspect of it. It's not for us that do it a lot. It's inconvenient. But for a homeowner that buys four houses throughout their lifetime, going to a title company isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, with that being said, I just want to remind you all that Monday is the deadline to do your taxes. So, if you are like most people and waited to the last minute, hurry up. Uh, you're going to have to, if you didn't, I think, I don't know, for personal taxes, you have extensions that you can file and yeah. pay for or whatever. But uh, Monday's tax day. So, get your taxes in. Now, actually, didn't they say for Texas tax day was June? June 15th, right? Because May of- is nationwide. Texas, because we had snow for a week, it went to June. That's what it was. Oh. Um, so there you go. So Texas, for anybody in Texas, you got until June. So you can keep procrastinating. Everybody else, you have until Monday. So that wraps up this episode of Coffee with the Johns. Hope you guys uh, got some value. Remember to like and subscribe this uh, to this uh, video and this channel. Support us, help us out, share it with your friends. And we will be back every Friday morning, 8 a.m. to bring you the headlines that matter to you and your business. Thank Sir. you all for watching. Bye-bye.